Shalom, and welcome to Kehilat Rosh Pina, a dynamic, multicultural, and growing Messianic Jewish congregation located in the heart of Oklahoma City and led by Rabbi Michael Weigand. Our goal is to bring you the message of the Word each week from a Jewish perspective and to exalt Messiah Yeshua as Lord and Savior overall. We are a loving congregation made up of both Jew and Gentile, now one in the Messiah, with Shabbat morning services at 10.40 a.m. and various studies throughout the week. Please come and join us next time you are in Oklahoma City. We would love to have you. And now, we hope you enjoy today's message. Thank you, friends, for going to prayer. And I hope that during this season you will be very prayerful because it is quite a time we're living in. In fact, that's part of what I want to share with you here today, that in light of all that's happening in this great big world that we're in, that we live in, actually, it's quite possible to become, I think, wrongly focused, or even we could use the term misfocused at this time, misfocus in our own lives and we need to make sure I believe that our focus is correct that our focus is what God would have us focus on I know there are some that are losing sleep and having trouble sleeping for various reasons sometimes it's just over issues that have come upon them and that they've taken to heart and they're they're bearing that and they're having trouble sleeping and yet so often those issues are issues that they really can't control And how important it is that we pray and cast our cares upon the Lord. I find myself saying that every week now as I just look out and see how many people are burdened down by some of what's coming across the airwaves. Many have become troubled even. Troubled by the news flashes that are popping up and and the various headlines that are depicting these heartbreaking destructions and, and the loss of life and things that none of us are really rejoice about. I don't know how you view those things, but when I see someone who has lost their life and let's say in, in the in the war in Ukraine or other places or in Israel and Tel Aviv, other places. One of my first thoughts is, did that person know the Lord? Is that person ready to meet the Lord? And then that thought really switches to something that I think is healthy for all of us. Are we ready to meet the Lord? Are you ready to meet the Lord? That's a big question. Others have been troubled by things that they've heard They've let it go into their heart. They've taken heart. And yet so often the messages that we hear are messages that really are are, are enshrouded with hopelessness. And I pray that throughout the pulpits, the bimas of this society, this nation, that there is a word of tikvah, of hope, coming forward. Even as Messiah is our hope, he's our living hope. He's the one who's returning again. He's the Melech the King of Kings, and Adonadunim, the Lord of Lords. And we have hope in him. And it's a living hope. It's a, a life-changing hope. Our outlook on life can be impacted by those things around us, those things we hear, those things we see on the... How many of you have heard it called the boob tube <laughs> on the television? <laughs> those things can be impacted by that. We almost can't help it. 
When we see the visuals and we hear the audios and we put the two together, that's a strong combination. The audio and the visual of some of the atrocities going on and our emotions then can become hostages to these things. There's no secret here at Rosh Pina that one of the things we say every day that we gather here, every Shabbat day that we gather here is that we should love the Lord our God with all our heart. Make sure that he's central to what's going on deep within us. And yet, this picture that I'm painting right now of our 21st century society actually is not a new fangled thing. The more I look at the Brit Hadashah and the words of Yeshua, the more I realize that he faced similar things. No, they didn't have television then or internet or the, the web, and that's a good term for it, the web. They didn't have that. But they also had things happening all around them. And eventually, even after Yeshua was resurrected from the dead, which we celebrate this coming week, his resurrection, even as Yeshua was resurrected from the dead, it would be shortly after his resurrection, just a couple of decades later, that all of Jerusalem would be sacked, destroyed. Even the Beit HaMikdash, the temple, would be destroyed. And perhaps it was at that time, the year 70 CE, at that time that the Shlichim, the apostles, remembered some of Yeshua's words. Words like these that are found in Matthew 24, verse 6. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Notice what it says next. See that you are not troubled. Will you say that with me? See that you are not troubled. He's acknowledging that there will be hearing within the ears of humanity. There will be the hearing concerning wars and rumors of war, but he's also saying to us, by implication, he's saying to us, see that you are not troubled. And yet, let's be honest about it, it's very difficult at times not to be troubled by some of the things that are projected towards us. And I'm sure if I asked you to raise your hand, how many of you have been troubled by some of the things you've seen lately on television or heard about on the radio, some of the things you've heard, and there's a, a, a wide scope of things that could trouble or disturb you that you would say probably, yeah, it has impacted you. And yet he says, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. And then he says, see that you are not troubled. He spoke like this in a number of places in the Besarav Yochanan, the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 27, an oft-repeat statement of Yeshua, something he said to his followers at that time in the first century, his, his Sabra followers, his native Israeli followers, he said to them, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. And then in the very next statement, after he talks about peace and my peace, referring to his own peace that he gives, that unique peace, he says, again, let not your heart be troubled. Will you say that with me? Let not your heart be troubled. Then he adds this, neither let it be afraid. 
So Yeshua gives his people, he gives his people, and by the way, are you part of his people today? Can you truly say that you belong to Messiah Yeshua, that you recognize he purchased you with his shed blood, that he redeemed you? Can you say that that describes your life? And no one can answer for you. You answer that for yourself, even as I did many years ago. But he gives his people, and I hope that includes you, that you're part of his people. He gives his people peace of heart. Did you notice that? He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, and it's not as the world gives do I give to you. But don't let your heart be troubled, and don't let it be afraid. He gives his people peace of heart. Yet this world system that we live in, and it can be a strong system. Have you noticed the pull of the world can be very strong? This world system, <laughs> which is run by basically so often by sinful people, whose, whose goal is not necessarily to glorify God. This world system run by so many sinful people which need our prayers and our, and our, and our outreach to them. So often... The, the vessels, the, the ways of communication, the things that are projected towards us do not speak necessarily of peace. But they project often the troubles of the world. They project things that would inculcate fear into our lives and hearts. And that fear, when that takes root in our hearts, One of the byproduct of such fear is a lack of peace. Have you noticed that when you're fearful, you're also lacking peace? When you're afraid, you're lacking peace. Something's removed from you when you are given over to fear. And yet, ultimately, when we look at Matthew 24, which we mentioned verse 6 already, but we look at the parallel passage that we find in Luke chapter 21, and we also find in Mark chapter 13, these other chapters that are addressing what are commonly called now the end times, so often, or what the Hebrew language calls acharita yamim, the ends of times, the end of days, so often there's a clarion call Placed in these words, in Matthew 24, Luke 21, Mark 13, these words and descriptions of Yeshua, there's a clarion call for us to be ready. Ready. But there's not a call for us to be afraid. There's not a call for us in the words of Yeshua in Matthew 24, Luke 21, or Mark 13, to lack peace. There is a call to be ready to be ready. Matthew 24 verse 44 says, therefore you also be ready. And then it says this, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Therefore, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And the complete Jewish Bible adds another sense to this verse. The complete Jewish Bible is a translation from the Greek done by a Jewish believer, well-known Jewish people, Dr. David Stern. And he adds this sense, Matthew 24, verse 44. It says, therefore, you too must 
always be ready. He finds the sense of the Greek is one of an imperative. You must be ready. You must always be ready. You must always be ready for the Son of Man will come when you are not expecting him. The key points, as I've emphasized, are the points of always, always being ready. And the second point in this statement is he's coming, Yeshua's returning when you're not expecting him. And we look further at what Paul, we call him here Rab Shaul, Rabbi Saul of Tarsus, Paul the Apostle. He described the end times, and as he described the end time scenario that he saw in the Spirit, as he described those things that he saw in the Spirit that would happen before Yeshua's return, he described just how full of decay earthly government would become. After all, it was him in 1 Timothy chapter 2, who I quote often here from this pulpit that says to pray for those that are in authority over you. He described how the anti-Messiah, the anti-Messiah, Messiah would take advantage of the selfish ways of the world and the sin-filled conditions that would permeate the earth at that time to set up what might be called a reign of darkness. And these very statements that Rapsha alluded to in First and Second Thessalonians and in other places, these very things, they are expanded upon in the book of Revelation and other places, including the very words of Yeshua himself. And Rapsha described how God's people would be, would be vexed, would be vexed by all that was going on, that it would be a difficult time, as he says in Timothy. He says that the last days will be difficult times. Difficult times. And yet he points out, and as the book of Revelation also points out, that to those who are faithful to the very end, there would be a victorious scene. There would be a scene of joy and gladness and deliverance for those who are truly overcomers. And besides the many passages of Scripture that refer to the end times, Paul also wrote some of the most, what I would call, down-to-earth directives. Man, they're down-to-earth. They really get down to it. He spoke about the end times and he spoke about the anti-Messiah and he spoke about the conditions of government and those type of things. But yet he also, in his epistles, and sometimes we focus more on these things, he spoke some very down-to-earth directives. He was addressing these directives to individuals like you and me. And families and nations and married couples. He was directing his thoughts towards them. For example, notice the words of Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. He said, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Messiah is head of the Messianic community, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the Messianic community is subject to Yeshua, so let the wives be subject to their own husbands in everything. 
And here, I, and as I said, uh, this is a very direct, the directives here is quite precise. It's directed to wives, by the way, in just a moment, we'll do the fair share towards the husbands. <laughs> Don't get too antsy about this. <laughs> But he said that a wife, basically, I'm going to put in my language, must learn to submit in her own heart to her, to her own husband. Learn to submit in a godly way in order to achieve a certain level of what we might call divine order within the home. There's a divine order that can be put in place in a home between a husband and a wife that's very important, kingdom-wise. And it goes without saying that wives are not obligated to submit to evil at any time. They're not obligated to submit to uh, a society that wants them to submit to evil things. They're not obligated. By the way, who are we all obligated to submit to? To the Lord. And then it says we're to submit to one another in the fear of the Lord, to have a relationship with one another that's based upon the fear of the Lord and reverence for Him. We must submit to God and his goodness. And notice the word goodness, because that's a word that pops up in a prophetic statement by Hosea in chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. There's this prophetic statement that the prophet Hosea made. And he says, For the Bene Israel, the children of Israel, shall abide many days without king or prince. They won't have real leadership. Without sacrifice or sacred pillar, there won't be true worship going on. Without ephod or teraphim, none of the pomp and circumstances connected with all that. And then in verse 5 of Hosea chapter 3, it says, Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord your God and David their king. Here, the reference to David, their king, is a direct reference to the Mashiach ben David, the Messiah, the son of David, Yeshua of Nazareth. And then it says this, they shall fear the Lord and, notice it's a bit unusual statement, they shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. When one reverences the Lord, we also begin to see his goodness towards us. Have you noticed that? When you've truly reverenced the Lord, that he starts to show you his goodness. He reveals things to you. He lavishes upon you goodness. They shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. And as I mentioned wise, I have a few things to say to husbands. <laughs> And when I speak of husband and wife, I'm talking about a wife is a woman and a husband is a man. A husband must be good to his wife. Did you hear that, husbands? <laughs> a husband must be good to his wife and treat her with understanding. And, I, you know, to be even here, and I know I'm, I'm treading on some water here, some, some thin ice, may I say it that way, the Yankee way is thin ice. The husband must be good to his wife, and I, and I should add at this point that the wife should do her husband good and not evil all the days of her life. And I'm quoting from Proverbs chapter 31, verse 12. That's an exact quote. So if they're both doing good to one another, what kind of relationship will they have? They'll have an increasingly good relationship. 
when they're looking out for one another. And when a husband is godly and a wife is given to expressing goodness and godliness, something is birthed within the marital relationship. Something's birthed there that's hard to explain. You see it when you see it, and you know it when you know it. And when you experience it, it, it's blissful. But something's birth when the husband is godly and the wife is given over to doing good things, expressing goodness, something grand, something glorious, something wonderful in the eyes of the Lord is birthed in that relationship. And might I add to those husbands and wives, the man and woman that are part of that relationship, that married relationship, there's something powerful that happens. Healing comes into that relationship. Focus comes into that relationship. Determination to follow the Lord comes into that relationship. And there's something satisfying and altogether fruitful in that kind of relationship. Now notice Rob Shaul's words to husbands in Ephesians chapter 5, beginning with verse 25. And I could stop after reading four words, and it would be dayenu, enough for us. But I'll go a little farther. How's that? Husbands, love your wives. Husbands, will you say that with me? Husbands, love your wives. Uh, That is not rocket science. That is not an overblast of theology. That is simply husbands, love your wives. It goes on and gives us an example. And man, what an example this is. Husbands, love your wives just as Yeshua also loved the Messianic community and gave himself for her. You know, he never gave up his lordship, but he gave himself for her, for the Messianic community, the church as it's called. He gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious messy in a community, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Wives are to submit to their husbands in the Lord. They are. They're not meant to be a hindrance. Wives are not meant to be manipulators. They're not meant to be demanding or self-willed or selfish or overly dependent or overly focused on non-essential things. And everything that I just said could also be said towards the husbands. The husbands are not meant to be manipulators. They're not meant to be hindrances to their wives. They're not meant to be demanding of their wives. They're not meant to be self-willed or selfish concerning their wives. They're not meant to be overly dependent or overly focused on non-essential things, even as the wives are not to be like that. Yet, in my opinion, there's an even greater commission to the husband when it says, husbands, say it with me, love your wives. Let's say it together. Husbands, love your wives. So here it is again from Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives, just as Yeshua also loved the Messianic community and gave himself for that community, for her. Now, Ephesians 5, we've already read verse 26 and verse 27. 
then uses what could be called some purposeful or specific descriptive language when it proclaims Yeshua's goals for his people. Here it is again to remind us of what it says, that Yeshua might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that Yeshua might present her to himself a glorious messianic community, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Did you notice the words and the terms that are used in those verses? Terms such as holy, cleansed, cleansed as it were in reference like a mikvah immersion, with no impurities, or spots or wrinkles. How many of you like that? No wrinkles. <laughs> or spiritual impurities. Here, I don't think he's talking so much about the facial stuff. He's talking about something deep inside. Now, these terms, spots, wrinkles, impurities, cleansing, being set apart, being holy, they are terms that are actually introduced. Hold on to this. They're introduced in the Torah. These are not terms introduced in the New Covenant. They were pre-introduced. They were introduced previously in the Torah. They're terms that have meaning already. They come from the Torah. They're used in the Torah. If you read this week's portion and last week's portion, you encounter these same terms that you read in Ephesians chapter 5 that we've been discussing here this morning. Words like impurities and wrinkles and spots and cleansing and being set apart and being holy, these are terms that are found even in the very parashayot, the portions we're reading at this time of the year. In fact, these terms connect very well with the idea of tzara'at, or leprosy, which last week's and this week's portion deals with in a very marked way. And Yeshua is the good shepherd. He's Haroe Hatov. He's the good shepherd. And he wants his people, husbands and wives and children, all of us, he wants his people to be sheep under his shepherdship, under his care, under his tutelage, under his guidance. He doesn't want us to be sheep whose lives are such that he must separate us away from the flock. Do you know at times that the Lord will do that? Even as we see an example in the Torah of what was to happen with someone who was a metzorah, who had sarat, leprosy, and they were to be put outside of the camp until they were clean. There are times when Yeshua will separate people from the community because they are, as it were, spiritually, spiritually falling into some traps that are not good for the community. Leviticus chapter 14, verses 1 and 2, says this. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, This shall be the law of the leopard, leper for the day of his cleansing. And then it says this, He shall be brought to the Kohen, to the priest, the Levitical priest. This shall be the law of the leper for the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought to the Kohen. And in ancient Israel, the Kohen, the Levitical priest, as we read about in the Torah, the Levitical priest represented, as it were, the Lord in his decisions. That's a big jump for us nowadays, but that's how it was set up by the Lord. 
The priest, the Kohen, was to represent the Lord's ways, the Lord's word, the Lord's truth, the Lord's statutes, and so forth. He was, as it were, a representative of the Lord in his ways, a physical representative. But sadly, as the scripture tells us, that was not always the case in ancient Israel. Oftentimes, the Kohanim went astray. If you have a chance to read the book of Malachi, you'll see that clearly, especially chapter 2. The Kohanim went astray. They no longer represented the, 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 vodly, the godly directives that the Lord wanted them to represent. And oftentimes by the first century, the time of Yeshua, when he walked around Jerusalem, when he was speaking at the Beit HaMikdash, at the temple in Jerusalem, when he had his followers who were following him, so often the contrast between him and the Kohanim of the first century was quite great. There was a big chasm. What they were represented, what they represented was often corruption, and people could see the corruption. But friends, we should be exceedingly thankful today, and I can't emphasize it enough. We should be exceedingly thankful for Yeshua, our Messiah, who is our Kohen Gadol, our great high priest. Exceedingly thankful. He's not corrupted. He ever lives to make intercession for us. He's not tempted by the things that where he, he passed through this earth without sin. As it says, Satan had nothing in him. And we should be thankful. Because now he ever lives to make intercession for us. And he alone can cleanse us. If you feel at times like you're a leper, you're separated off, he's the one you need to go to. He's the Kohen Gadol. He can remove the stain of sin from your life. He can remove those stains, that lawlessness. He can help you to walk the straight and narrow by the power of his Holy Spirit so that you walk in newness of life, not in oldness of death, but newness of life in him and that you become willing and obedient to serve him and to honor him. Here's what it says about Yeshua in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. It says, we have a great high priest, <laughs> a gadol Kohen Gadol, a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Yeshua, the Son of God. And it says this to us, let us hold fast our confession. I began my remarks here this morning by mentioning some of the stuff that's out there that can really trouble us, that we hear the news stories that really get us at times, that we can let impact us and control even our emotions at times. This text tells us to hold fast our confession of Yeshua the Messiah. And it continues, For we do not have a high priest, a Kohen Gadol, who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but he was in all points tempted as we are. Did you ever feel like you're the only one that's been through some things in your life? If that's how you feel, please change your way of thinking. Because he was tempted in all points, in all points tempted as we are, and yet there's these three words that comes after it. It's projected behind me. Let's say them together. Yet without sin. He was the spotless lamb of God. He remains the spotless one. 
Verse 16 is an exhortation. It's one of the many let us, I want to say lettuce, but it sounds like a vegetable, let us statements that we find in the book of Hebrews. There are many of them. It's an interesting study, by the way. Check it out. The statements that begin with let us, which is an exhortation for us to to do something. It says, let us, in verse 16 of Hebrews chapter 4, it says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. It's curious that the writer of Messianic Jews, whoever that person was, the writer of Messianic Jews could have used many different descriptive terms after throne. He could have said, let, let, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of glory. Would that have fit in? Yes, it would have. Let us come boldly to the throne of salvation. Would that have fit in? Yes, it would have. Let us come boldly to the let us come boldly to the throne of eternity. Would that have fit in? Yes, it would have. But you know what he chooses to write? And we need to catch this in our own lives. He says, Let us come boldly to the throne of grace. Are you thankful today for the grace of God? I am. It's that very grace that changed my life many years ago. And by the way, if you're a believer, that's continually changing your life. Have you noticed that you're being changed from glory to glory and faith to faith by His Holy Spirit that's working deep within you? That the very person you were a year ago, you're not now. Hopefully it's all good as you seek to obey the Lord. He says in verse 16 of Messianic Jews, Hebrew chapter 4, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. And here's the reason why. That we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Today is Shabbat Gadol, it's called in the Jewish world. And looking up online, say, well, why is it called that? I mean, yes, obviously it's before the first major spring feast of Pesach and Hagamatzot, before this, but Shabbat Gadol, the, the great Sabbath that happens just before the Passover season. And as we look at this particular Shabbat, it seems to be a time of preparation. We're preparing our hearts for Passover. In many of our homes, we're preparing our homes for Passover. How many of you plan to try to remove the yeast from your house? There are quite a few. <laughs> I'd be curious to see how you do with that. I always seem to fail that. I don't know why. <laughs> Whether it's the toaster or something else, but something seems to get me. <laughs> but we're preparing our homes. We're getting rid of the chametz that's in our houses, in our homes. But we need to make sure that we prepare as individuals, prepare our lives. If you're a husband, prepare your heart. Make sure your heart's prepared to do what's right with your wife. If you're a wife, make sure your heart's prepared to do what's right towards your husband. If you're a son, a daughter, a friend, a fellow servant of the Lord, make sure you're preparing your heart. That that's a continual preparation happen so that you can fulfill those particular callings that you have on your life. And we can do this if we obey the Lord. Now, I want to conclude with five areas. Very briefly touch on these. 
five areas that I think it's important for us to examine as we head towards the, the Pesach holy days. Five areas that I think it's important for us to examine and, and take a look at them. For example, to give you an idea of what I'm, I'm advocating here, area number one that I think we need to look at would be our relationships. Are you keeping your relationships and your friendships, are you keeping them Messiah-centered? Are you keeping them holy before the Lord? That's a question only you can answer. Only I can answer that. And you know, if you're not, and if you realize as you're looking at your area, your various relationships, and many of us have many different kinds of relationships that we're involved with. For example, there's a congregational relationship. There's a marital relationship. We're friends with people. We have coworkers. We interact with all that. We intersect with all that. But if you're, you're realizing that you're not necessarily keeping your relationships Messiah-centered, and perhaps you have some areas where you're weak, where maybe you're, you're, no one sees you, so you feel like you can let your guard down a little bit, maybe spew out a few uh, imprecations or, or, or swear words because no one's listening to you. Or act mean to someone because they don't expect you to be nice anyway. You know, please... Start trying to get your relationships in better order if possible. You know why? I'm going to quote again from Matthew 24. Because no one knows the day or the hour of Yeshua's return. A second area. I've addressed it very briefly here today. Our marriages. If you're married, and I speak of husband, man, wife, woman. If you're married... Your marriage, and not everyone is married, and in fact, Yeshua himself wasn't married, even though some modern people are trying to say he was, or he had inordinate relationships, which is a very trafe idea. But to those who are married, are you conducting yourself properly in your marriage? Husbands, are you truly loving your wives? Are you caring for your wife? Wives, are you respecting your husband? Are you, or are you turning to try to manipulate them and all these type of things which are unclean things? Are you doing all you can to help your husband bear the load of being the head of the household? That's very important. Are you manipulating and using emotions and type of thing? Only you can answer those questions if you're a husband and wife. But please make sure to get this right. Because as I've stated before, and I'll repeat it again, quoting from Matthew 24, no one knows the day or the hour of Yeshua's return. No one knows. Area number three, our community. Everything we read in Scripture, directly or indirectly, seems to relate back to what we might call mishpacha and kehilah, family and community. Are you loyal to your spiritual community? Are you loyal to your spiritual community? Are you faithfully supporting uh, your, the work of the community financially? Can you be counted on or are you counted out? These are things we can ask the Lord and we can make right. 
Are you praying for the call of God to be fulfilled within the community? These are important questions. And let's get this right. The area of community is important. We're connected to it. Let's get this right again to quote from Matthew 24. Because no one knows the day or the hour of Yeshua's return. Area number four of five are personal goals. Do you have personal goals? Many people do. But we are called to deny ourselves and to take up the cross, the execution stake, the ets, the tree, and to follow Yeshua. And sometimes that involves giving up our personal agendas and goals so that we might take his mantle upon us, which, by the way, I believe is the most fulfilling course we can take in life. Doing his will is the most satisfying thing we can do. And if we will yield to him our personal goals and let him replace our personal goals with his goals, we will find ourselves more joyous, we will find ourselves more fruitful, and I believe we'll find ourselves more satisfied than anything this world could ever offer us. We'll be drinking from fountains of water that the world doesn't know partaking of sustenance that the world cannot give to us. And we should be diligent concerning God's will for our life because, again, to quote from Matthew chapter 24, no one knows the day or the hour of Yeshua's return. And lastly, area number five. It may be the most important one of them all. I mean, that's subject to personal debate. But it may be the most important one. The one which all others seem to come from. And that's the area of our hearts. That place we think we know so well. But scripture says we don't even know our own hearts. (laughs) So is our hearts deceitful there? Who can even know it is how Jeremiah says it. Who can know this heart? You know, one author pondered how God might address her own heart, how God might address her own, at at times she called it a wandering heart that she had. She was a committed believer, but at times she noticed she had a wandering heart, and then she realized God was trying to get get his point across to her, and then she realized, well, maybe this applies to even more than her. And this is what the author wrote. She wrote the following... My wayward and wandering children, turn back. Turn to me. The path you are on is one that leads to destruction. One I cannot bless. But it's not too late. You haven't wandered too far. You can stop right now, right where you are, and return to me. You can make wise and holy choices starting now. You can sow better seed today. Draw near to me once again, and I will draw near to you. Repent of your sins and receive the fullness of my mercy, grace, and forgiveness. Welcome me even into the parts of your heart that have been hard and resistant to me. Welcome me. Turn to me. Seek me. You will find me waiting and ready to move in your life with amazing grace, unending love, and incredible power. 
this person, as you read the narrative about her, she had come to this place in her life where she realized something was amiss. And she sensed the Lord speak into her. And then she realized that it applied to many more people than herself. So my friends, is Yeshua king of your heart today as we enter towards Passover week? Is he king of your heart? Next Shabbat will be Passover. We'll be in the first day of Passover. Is he king of your heart? Is he really the ruler there? You would be wise to make sure that he is the king of your heart and that nothing's being held back from him because, and I'll conclude by quoting from Matthew 24 again, because no one knows the day or the hour of Yeshua's return. Will you please bow your heads in prayer? As we head towards this Passover season, take a moment to reflect on your life. It's a sober time in many ways, even this is a time of deliverance and rejoicing. This woman sensed God speaking to her. What's he saying to you, to your heart, to your life? Lord, we yield to you today as we approach Pesach, this season that you've ordained, this calendar time that you put in place. Lord, please remove the chametz, the leaven, the yeast from our lives that's displeasing to you, that puffs us up, and makes us think we're more than we are. And help us, O Lord, to rejoice that you have called us to be your children. You have called us to godly marriages. You have called us to godly friendships. You have called us to a way that leads not to death. You have called us to a place of rejoicing, even as it's a place of sobriety and serving you. Father, I pray for everyone here today, for your hand to touch their lives. We need your touch, O Lord. We are not so that we feel like we can do it on our own. You are our help. You are ever-present help in time of need. Thank you, Lord. In Yeshua's name, amen. You've been listening to the Shabbat message from Rosh Pinah Messianic Jewish Congregation in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. We would love to have you visit us. Our weekly services begin at 10.40 a.m. each Shabbat, and we are located at 2600 Northwest 55th Place, north of Northwest Expressway at the corner of Northland Avenue and Northwest 55th Place. We meet each Shabbat for wonderful praise and worship with dance, liturgy, teaching, food, fellowship, excellent children's programs, and Bible studies on Tuesday nights. For more information, please visit our website, www.roshpinah.org. That's R-O-S-H-P-I-N-A-H dot O-R-G. You can also reach us by phone at 405-842-1967 or email us at info at Thank you for spending time in the Word with us today. Shabbat Shalom and blessings in Messiah Yeshua.